I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. All right, we're going to roll. Yeah, let's do this. All right. Welcome to the Abundant Beans Podcast. I'm Jamie O'Kane, your host, um, owner of Abundant Beans Tax and Accounting, where we give you the confidence that your tax and accounting are working for you and not against you. And today on the podcast, we have my friend Rob Trimble. Dr. Rob Trimble um, is a future-focused veterinarian and entrepreneur with a passion for innovating at the intersection of medical technology and organizational design. After graduating in 2013 from the University of Illinois, Chicago of vet- Veterinary Medicine, I didn't even know they had one. Champagne. Champagne. Oh, okay. There you go. He worked as a general practitioner on the central coast of California. After a move to the Bay Area, he worked in the animal health technology space, delivering veterinary house calls for Vet Pronto, a pet tech startup based in San Francisco. In 2016, he co-founded Fuzzy Pet Health a subscription-based veterinary house call company that was built upon a virtual care and telemedicine platform. Currently, he's serving as the executive director for the Veterinary Entrepreneurship Academy. That is a lot of words. (laughs) Hardest words to say, right? And we put them into our title. I love it. Um, A nonprofit organization that's on a mission to accelerate innovation and entrepreneurship from within the veterinary profession, starting with veterinary students, which... I just love so much you and I had, I think the first time we talked was like hours. I was like, Oh my gosh, uh-huh. let's talk about how we can all make them uh, all entrepreneurs. Um, he likes small towns, big waves, authentic conversation and working with business leaders to prepare their organizations for a future of rapid change. Thanks so Welcome. much for having me, Jamie. Appreciate it. Glad to um, be. Big waves. Yeah. Surfing. You're in the wrong Technology. state, my friend. <laughs> I know. I know. In Colorado, we're riding the white waves on the mountain. <laughs> Closest thing to it. Uh, I think I can also my, talk about ways of innovation. That's fun yeah, let's talk about that. It's, that's really funny. Um, I actually put my new bio um, that I'm a Colorado native who doesn't ski. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> people are always like, oh, you're from Colorado. Like, how are the mountains? I'm like, couldn't tell you. I only go up there in the summer, like sometimes. Uh-huh. Kicking yeah. and screaming. Yeah, no, no, taking me to the beach, please. Yeah. I know. I'm, I miss it a lot. I, I loved living on the beach. I uh, really enjoyed being in the Bay Area, but there's something about Colorado too, the, the more Midwestern community, which is really great. Yeah. Uh, that it's sense of community calling. is something we really uh, are blessed with here in this area. Mm-hmm. That we didn't quite necessarily have to the same degree in the Bay Area. Hmm. Uh, it's a little bit more of a transient area, people coming and going a lot. So um, I, I enjoy it here. Yeah. Fort Collins is um, definitely kind of a little more Midwesty than south something yeah. down here in denver but even in denver you find communities like that yeah um i grew up here so i'm just like what? that's midwesty really i didn't know that <laughs> um so what was your first job oh, geez my very first job i think it was a lifeguard ah yeah well i guess i mean that was my first real job i grew up on a dairy farm so i was kind of working there that is there's there's my veterinarian <laughs> yeah yeah I grew up on a dairy farm, you know, feeding cattle and, you know, milking and all that stuff. So that was kind of probably my first job, uh, whether or not I was paid for it or not, you know, that's a different story, but, you know, family farm. So that's kind of part of the job there. Um, yeah. But then lifeguarding um, and then, yeah, found my passion in veterinary medicine and then 
why history writes itself. So. That's awesome. It's so funny. Um, I always laugh because I was talking to somebody the other day. I'm like, yeah, the veterinarians are really like entrepreneurial. They're like, really? And I was like, they usually grew up on farms or like come from some kind of like family business. Yeah. yeah like, my... Or at least in my experience. But I also talked to the more like the people that are innovating in the like or the you know the people that work for veterinarians and work in the space but like not always entrepreneur you know actual in hospital yeah talk still well i mean entrepreneur veterinarians and entrepreneurs go hand in hand i mean from one from one standpoint when you look at what they have to do from a healthcare standpoint i mean mm-hmm. you're solving problems that don't necessarily always have a clear-cut answer and you have to use your creativity to come up with a healthcare solution that not only works for the pet, but for the owner and their wallet and their timeline and their mm-hmm. lifestyle. Um, so at the root of it is problem solving. And that's at the root of, of entrepreneurship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of veterinarians get freaked out because they don't have a lot of business training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they think, well, I'm not really an entrepreneur. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and and w- the, the fun sort of light bulb moment that I get to see all the time with the students that go through the, the Veteran Entrepreneurship Academy is when they realize that the way to build a new business or the way to sort of the, the fundamentals of entrepreneurship uh, are very similar to something that they're already an expert in, which so their is model the of care method, scientific method. You know? <laughs> I know. You identify know. a problem, come up with a hypothesis, develop a test, run the test, get your, right. your solutions and see how that makes you pivot. And it's the same thing in business development. Um, you know, the idea with the, the VEA is, we used to think about growing a small startup in the same way as you know how business leaders think about growing an existing business, a larger mm-hmm. business. That's how it used to be. You know, we used to think they were the same thing. The general process of growing them was the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we've learned is that they're actually very, very different. Now, you know, a large company they generally have the playbook figured out. They know how to make money, right? It's mm-hmm. simply a matter of getting the right people in the right spot and executing. Mm-hmm. Uh, executing on a known business plan with known customers but, you know when you're a startup and these are the folks that you talk with too mm-hmm. you know the innovators the ones that are starting up a, a family business or a, a new business um, there you don't know who your customer is right away mm-hmm. you don't know necessarily even the value that you're trying to deliver mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of assumptions you have up front and the idea is how do you go out and engage with the market and validate those assumptions and again using the scientific method just applied through the lens of business I love it. I love it. Um, and I just think it's funny because, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not science people or whatever. But like, if you're solving problems, you're science people. Like, and yeah. that's why like, I have people who are, I'm always just like, I'm a science nerd as well as a tax nerd, because it really is scientific method, right? We have a problem. Can we fix it this way? Okay, maybe not. You know, and we're just adjusting as we go. Um, and you're right. I think entrepreneurship is very, very similar. You know, are we tracking what we're trusting? and things like that. And that's where I think a lot of us get tripped up though, right? Are we tracking, yeah. <laughs> are we tracking, are we testing? Or are we just like continuing to go in loops? Yeah, it's a blend of science and art. Yeah. I mean, I think veterinary medicine, entrepreneurship, tax work, CPA work. I mean, it's all a blend of, of science and art. Yeah, left, you know, it's left brain right It's exactly, it's exactly it, yeah, yeah. So give us the rundown on your career journey. I kind of did that in your bio, but. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I grew up on a dairy farm. So it was a very natural progression for me to, you know, see veterinary medicine in my career path. Um, you know, I started out in ag econ, ag business, mm-hmm. um, quickly for, within a year or so pivoted over to animal science and then graduated in 2013 from the U of I uh, with a degree in veterinary medicine. 
Now, what was interesting was uh, during my fourth year, I kind of had a pivotal moment because, you know, we were going into our clinical year when we're going to be, you know, really working hands-on with a lot of pets, mm-hmm. um, a lot of animals. And so I figured people should be excited. They should be happy to be doing this part, right? We've been working our whole lives up to get to this point and spend a ton of money to get so to we're this finally point. applying said there. Yeah, we're finally applying it. Right. And so I figured people would be excited. Uh, they'd be engaged, uh, happy to be doing it. And what I saw when we got into clinics was kind of the exact opposite. I saw a lot of misery, a lot of unhappy people, a lot of strife. And so it got me thinking, you know, because I, I, I was an opt, I am an optimist. I like hanging around positive people, you know, not that I see the world through rose colored glasses, but um, I prefer to kind of be around those people because I think that's where a lot of opportunity can bubble up when you have a sort of a growth mindset, um, especially if you're in an environment with other people with similar mindset. Um, regardless, I started thinking, you know, if this is the way the real world looks, then when I get out from veterinary school, like I'm not going to survive in that. So I need to figure out how to create my own business, my own culture, such that I'm not going to go insane, that I would actually enjoy working in this business for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so it really sent me down um, a rabbit hole. You know, we were talking about rabbit holes before the, pro- the program started. Yeah, we were. Um, and it really sent me down a rabbit hole of organizational design mm-hmm. um, and culture and leadership mm-hmm. and understanding sort of how, the, the, how to, to tweak and manage and shape the, the actual structure of your organization and the way you lead and manage people in your organization such that it creates an environment within which those people can flourish, mm-hmm. uh, within which they can thrive. So instead of coming to work and trying to survive, they actually come to work and, and see themselves grow and improve and become better and healthier and uh, find themselves as a part of a healthy community and all of that. That's really um, interesting. And so, you know, the other thing that happened around that time, my fourth year, was I recognized that the world was changing quickly. You know, uh, my uncle was a veterinarian. Uh, My wife is a veterinarian also. She graduated with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her aunt and uncle are both veterinarians. So, you know, we've kind of seen veterinary medicine since we were both real little. Uh, And and it was shocking. I think we noticed it during our fourth year, just how quickly, especially technologies, new technologies are starting to shape the profession. Um, But also how, you know, things like, you know, the veterinary medicine, it's a hot space. It's a really hot space right now. There's a lot of investment coming into the space. There's a lot of people joining the veterinary uh, space, working in the veterinary space who may not be a veterinarian that maybe don't even work with a veterinarian on their team, mm-hmm. uh, but they see the veterinary space as a good place to invest and generate returns as mm-hmm. through a business. And so we recognize that the, the, the actual face of veterinary medicine, the profession itself was changing quickly as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all that change is uncomfortable changes discomfort you know you experience a lot of discomfort with change and so I remember thinking during our fourth year you know if, if we're going to continue to experience change uh, which by all intents and purposes it looks like we're going to experience not just more change but the the rate of which we're going to experience that change is accelerating as well if we're going to experience that in our lifetime then it was up I, I figured that it would behoove me to become comfortable with discomfort so to get comfortable being uncomfortable mm-hmm. And so for, um, for myself and especially, you know, for my wife too, you know, we grew up on a, a farm. We grew up on farms in rural Illinois. So moving to California was a pretty scary thing. Uh, and we said, yeah, let's do that. Let's go to California. Oh, Why not? The area. That's like, well, yeah, completely different. <laughs> uh-huh. exactly. Um, and so, you know, we started working in a little private practice in the Monterey Bay for a couple of years before we very quickly got sucked up into the San Francisco Bay area where uh, we started working for various animal health startups. Um, 
I was, I started out working for Vet Pronto, uh, which is a house call service, kind of like a, the way you describe it, it'd be Uber for vets. Mm -hmm. So I'd be a house call provider and, and I would look at the app on my phone and it would tell me where my next appointment was and I would go there and take care of that pet. That's awesome. I delivered everything from um, preventative healthcare visits to curative visits, where you're actually treating illness uh, to euthanasia, it's pretty broad spectrum. And it was delivered on a fee-for-service model, kind of the same model that most veterinary hospitals operate on. You know, for every little thing or service that you do, there's a fee associated with it. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a unique way of experiencing a different way of delivering veterinary care that I hadn't seen before. And it kind of, I remember going down Market Street in downtown San Francisco one time on my way to an appointment for some little foo-foo dog, <laughs> uh, you know, up in a high rise and just thinking, you know, James Harriet, you know, eat your heart out. This because, is my life. <laughs> So I had a connection there. James Harriet used to, you know, one of the, the icons in veterinary medicine, going around house to house, doing the house call thing, um, and then seeing it applied through this lens of very futuristic, forward-thinking, 21st century uh, approach. And anyway, very interesting. I love Those how you there. just called the dog a fur for dog. Uh, <laughs> I'm a veterinarian actually call a little dog a fur for Well, yeah. They are. <laughs> no, no, no offense uh, tried to deliver there at all. No, I, I like the free food dogs. I like the big dogs. I like small mm -hmm. dogs. I like them all. Yeah. Um, You're a veterinarian. You like, you like yeah. all animals. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was a premise licensed veterinarian for them for a little under a year before I had the opportunity to go over and start a, a company uh, with a couple of other entrepreneurs by the name of Fuzzy Pet Healthcare is what mm -hmm. we called it. Um, and, you know, if, if Vet Pronto was Uber for Vet Med, Mm -hmm. uh, fuzzy was kind of like Netflix for vet med. I love it. We had a, our services were delivered on a subscription model, uh, much it. like Netflix or, you know, so, um, still doing house calls. We focus on preventative and wellness care specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I see a lot of entrepreneurs do, uh, especially veterinarians is that they try to please too many people, uh, and in process of doing so end up pleasing no one. And so one of the lessons we had when I uh, left at Pronto was, you know, why try to do everything? Let's get do really, let's figure out how to get um, really good at delivering the highest quality preventative and wellness care uh, possible. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we really hung our hat on. Um, really interesting way, again, doing house calls, but a completely different payment model and delivering help, uh, veterinary medicine on a subscription model. So very unique way of experience and delivering care. Um, plus then in that job, we also built a telemedicine platform, which inadvertently we ended up finding that we were delivering the most telemedicine of anyone in the country at one point. That's it just awesome. kind of happened by accident. Um, so it was a very, another interesting sort of um, exploration of how vet med can be delivered in an area that was very, uh, when we first started kind of a faux pas, like veterinary uh, telemedicine was still a scary thing that most, a lot of people frowned upon or couldn't see its potential value, mm -hmm. but we were literally pioneering and, and doing a lot of that work and seeing the benefit that can, can deliver for pets and, and pet owners. So that was kind of fun. Anyway, uh, left Fuzzy in fall of 2018 and came over to the Veterinary Entrepreneurship Academy in January of 2019 and where I've been working with Here veterinary students teaching them the fundamentals of entrepreneurship and business. I love it. Um, it's really interesting. And you talk about, you know, the speed of innovation you talk about, and I, I keep telling people this, the accounting industry and the vet industry are like, they're literally on the same trajectory, you know, like of innovation and change and, you know, hot money coming in and like all of these, you know, I can't tell me like, 
I have all these emails. Hey, do you want to check out this platform? Would you like to check out this platform? We got this thing. Can you can, can do a demo for you? And I'm like, y'all, how many receipt things do I need? Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's very similar. Um, and then also like the telemedicine or, you know, whatever, like that's all just very similar to what, how accountants work and have worked and are learning how they shouldn't be working now. Well, I think one of the things we talked about also before the, the we kicked off here today was that um, you know, there's, there's there's different types of work. There's right brain and left brain, and mm-hmm. there's certain things that can be automated, mm-hmm. and there's certain things that can be automated in vet med too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's another area of overlap between maybe the tax world and the veterinary world is, and I, and I, other industries are experiencing this as well as automation continues to take away sort of the rote mechanistic labor. Mm-hmm. Previously, we've had to do by by hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's opening up uh, time and opening up uh, a lot of freedom for people who are practicing in these spaces mm-hmm. to do uh, things and to deliver services and deliver value in ways that have previously not been, weren't, we've not been able to. Yeah. So I, I think if you're open and willing to be able to adapt the type of work that you do um, and, and how you deliver value to customers, mm-hmm. then you're gonna be able to continue to be successful in the 21st century. I think it's the folks that try to hold on to the way it's always been done, um, who are going to continue to struggle. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially, you know, with COVID and the whole thing, you know, I'm in a ton of accounting forums and, you know, I'm just watching all these people like really struggle that, you know, only do services in person or, you know, everything with paper or, you know, it's just like, y'all, we, some of us have been paper for like paperless for like 20 years. Um, it's 1099 season. So it's the time of year where we're all trying to get our 1099s out. And I can't tell you how often people are like, ah, what printer do you use to print 1099s? I'm like, we still are printing 1099s. Why? I haven't printed a 1099 in 10 years. You have things like DocuSign that you can just whip through them real quick. Well, there's like three or four platforms that are amazing that like will e-file them for you and email them to the recipient. recipient. It's the literalist no brainer no brainer yeah and i'm just like why you can you can still print them why <laughs> why are you doing this you know hours and hours and hours doing 1099s i remember this i've done this and it no yeah. oh my gosh yeah no it's hard enough to get all the proper inputs to, to run them and now we're like dealing with printers on it yeah i print one thing a year usually <laughs> <laughs> well, but the, you know, thinking about the the struggles is one way of looking at the problem. But it's mm-hmm. also fun to kind of ex- imagine the opportunities that come from making that change and adapting. Mm-hmm. So maybe, what are some of the? I guess I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah, now. you ask me. What are sort of the uh, the the areas of opportunity that you see in the tax or the CPA world? Uh, and I'm sure there's some corollaries with the opportunities that exist in the, the veterinary space as well. Yeah, it's really similar. So, you know, you're saying like, we don't have to be the jack of all trades. Like we don't have to do everything for everybody. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of people specializing. Um, you know, we, we have a lot more people that are just like, I do CFO services. I am not a tax accountant. Or maybe I have been in the past, but I just don't want to do that anymore. Like we get to choose that. And we get to choose how we... You know, so just like you're saying, you know, if we focus on a subscription model with like wellness care, right, <laughs> which is why I was smiling because that's pretty much what we do. I do a subscription based model, which is pretty much wellness care. 
mm. for your taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if we focus on impact instead of being everything to everybody on all the platforms and doing all the things with all the things and being agnostic, we can focus on the right people and the right solutions, right? Yeah. Uh, which is why we lead with planning because that's how we can make the best dollar impact for our clients. And you and I were talking about PPP loans and how we're, and I was telling you kind of how we're doing strategy around those. Who would have thought their strategy around PPP loans? Well, there is, and then, there I think can be. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, and you're identifying a, a specific customer segment within the broader segment of customers who need tax services, right? Right. And, and that's exactly, I mean, th- we just kicked off the idea student innovation competition last week. And this was pretty much our first lesson is one, don't try to please everybody. Mm-hmm. And two is like identify who your core customer is. Mm-hmm. What are the pains that they experience with mm-hmm. the status quo, the solutions that exist out there? Why do they suck today? What mm-hmm. frustrates them when they try to use those solutions? What would they want from their ideal solution? You know, and then that helps our, our young student entrepreneurs sort of craft their potential solutions, mm-hmm. not to just please everybody or to create a general product, but to create a specific product for a specific cohort of people that they know are going to find value in it. Right. And so that they, like, and they yeah. enjoy doing said whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we, I think when I started, when I started my firm, I had a, this little tiny book, bookkeeping client, and I did payroll for her. And then I had to pay for one other client. And then I was like, nope, we don't do payroll. <laughs> I was like, that, no, hard stop. I, we do not do payroll for so many reasons. The big one being, I don't want my team tied to it, talking about culture. Two, it's just not a value-added service. It makes sense to give it to a big company because they have the economies of scale to take care of it in a way that's cost-effective. And honestly, there's just too much compliance. I don't want to deal with it. And that's one of those things where if you mess it up, it's just stop pretty on the back end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I'll have people like, well, can I just run my own in QBO? And I go, if you can tell me the six, the six compliance pieces, you need to make sure that you, you know, the six different taxes that you need to make sure that you handle here in Colorado and whatever state you're in. Um, sure. Go ahead. And they'll just look at me and go, okay, who do you recommend? Yeah. I don't want to be responsible for that. And you don't, you don't even know what you're doing. I used to be, a that's all what I did for years. I was a payroll specialist and I don't want to do it. <laughs> well, and I guess maybe that's just, a, it's worth giving a nod to, you know, how fortunate we are uh, as a society be, or for some of us to be able to choose what you right. want to do, right? right? It's a phenomenal blessing to be able to have that, that choice and that freedom to choose. Yeah. But I think it's also, to recognize that you don't have to know how to do everything. Uh-huh. Too many times I run into entrepreneurs um, and I tell them this all the time that like, they are like, well, don't judge me because my books aren't done. I'm like, what? I'm sorry, are you also an accountant? They're like, well, no, I have a whatever degree. Okay, well then I don't know why I would be judging you. Even if you were an accountant, I wouldn't be judging you. Like you're doing yeah. something in your business that I'm missing. Or like, this is not for everybody. <laughs> I tell you, that's, that definitely resonates with me because, you know, going through veterinary school and I know a lot of uh, fellow veterinarians would probably agree with me that you know, when you're trained to be a veterinarian, 
you're kind of trained to be the smartest person in the exam room, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're the one that knows the medicine, knows the healthcare, you know, the best pathway forward. You simply are there to kind of give orders and tell what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're trained to be the smartest person in the room. When it comes to entrepreneurship, right? And this is another one of those key lessons we just stopped, talked about is the idea is, is, is with, especially with a new business, you're starting with hunches. You are starting with a guess. Um, and so the idea that you're, that you know, everything from the beginning is complete opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is like when you, when you start, you, you're very aware that you don't know everything. You're probably the least smartest person in the room, but the idea is to learn as quickly as you can from the market in such a way that it helps direct your actions for the business. So a lot of veterinarians come over when they were veterinary students, when they're first starting to get into entrepreneurship education, you know, there's this almost imposter syndrome. And I know I've experienced that too, going, going through my Me career. Oh, yeah. So it's like, you know, don't worry about the imposter syndrome. Uh, if you, if you think, you know, everything, then you're already wrong. <laughs> like the idea is to start with an, a, a knowledge that you don't know everything, but then learn as quickly as you can. And that all of a sudden, when you, when you sort of break the ice with that, everybody in class seems to just loosen up a little bit. Like, oh, great. I don't have to know everything. I can just be here and talk about what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more lightweight. Um, not that it's not serious. It's a very, I mean, serious topic, mm-hmm. the, the development of a business and being able to impact mm-hmm. people's lives. But to be able to start from a point where, oh, it's okay if I don't know everything. Uh, that's why we're here. That's that's the whole uh, journey that we're on is to learn. That that really works. Uh, it really resonates with a lot of vet students. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think I say this a lot, but um, when you know that you don't know everything and you're, you're cool with that, um, you also tend to gravitate, gravitate towards people that do know the answers mm. or can help you find the answers. Um, but if you're pretending like, you know, everything you're going to probably be in the, you know, like, we're just like, I just run a firm that's just like, we're all learning all the time. So, <laughs> you know, like it's totally fine. You know, yeah. I don't know everything I don't pretend to know anything, everything. And if I don't, then I'll go find somebody who does and I'll either have them tell me how it works or I'll pay them for that knowledge or I'll just hire them because <laughs> I don't need to know. Networking, right? I don't need to know. Networking. Yeah. yeah. Another huge aspect we talk a lot about. I, I have uh, students complete their, um, their personal board of advisors is another thing I, I like that. to do where, Very you know, much. who is your personal board of advisors? Who are the folks who can help guide you through your career that you can check in on when things are rough? Uh, they can give you straight advice, not sugar-coated, right? So that's another fun thing we like to do. And, and uh, um, you know, I think you, you, you've highlighted this before too, which is the importance of storytelling, mm-hmm. um, being able to communicate effectively. That's another big part of what we talk about mm-hmm. is, um, and what we train the students on is how to communicate effectively, how to give a, a good 60 second or two minute pitch about your business idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, more importantly, how to use storytelling to communicate to your customer the, the value that you're, you're trying to deliver mm-hmm. and why they should care. Right? It's not just about the features of your product. It's not that your new technology does this thing or you know, you know, helps solve um, a certain thing this way, but it's a matter of, of the, the pain that it solves for your customer, mm-hmm. not the features, but the value. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and the thing that I've learned you know, as I've learned met more people in this space is um, it never really clicked with me that veterinarians have two patients with every single, at least two with every single case. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's not just the animal, it's also the pet parents. 
yep. and the other animals and Both you know yeah and it's just very interesting because that's that's a whole nother layer of something that you know animal doctors do that you know human doctors don't generally have to deal with and things like that like even like like you know you know i'm a birth doula so even like in birth though it's like the birthing person mm. like everybody else is ancillary mm-hmm. but when you're dealing with animals you also they don't talk therefore you must also deal with the person that comes with said animal <laughs> right yep. equally or even more importantly yep. um so it's but a lot of us don't get into it for that they get into it for the animal uh, yeah. for the for the healthcare, right yeah is that why clin- so i need to know why clinicals are so like awful for people uh i and that's one of the things that i realized i don't think it's the the clinical work that's awful mm-hmm. um, i think it's the environment within mm-hmm. which most organizations operate it's a, one of the passions that I've developed since I graduated, since that that fourth year. Actually, you can see, I don't know if you're, if, if this podcast is going to be audio only. Yeah. Or is it, no, it's video too. We can see it. So you can see on the thing behind me there, it's, uh, I've got a poster on the wall behind me. It's the actual, it's the very first organizational chart. It's from 1855. <sighs> I was wondering what that was. Uh-huh. I, I kept looking at it like, what is that? Is it like yeah. so you can see a floral thing? President the board advisors oh general supervisor and all of his supervisors that have their small teams out here made up of employees and so you know you look at that and you think well that looks pretty similar to the hierarchical pyramid org structure that we use today looks very similar to the military very similar to the military actually fun point on that we can come back to but the point here is that 1855 first time we put down in this form, how an organization was designed, how it was built, how it was organized, how um, people interacted, Top where silos flows, right? Um, and this was a new technology. It's the first time it had been done. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it worked really, really well. And, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for this model, this, I actually called it scientific management. It was the name for it, scientific management, right? Where you we're just going to put scientific a, on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and it was, and, and you could be relatively uh, straight, straightforward, scientific with it because um, it was built for a time where the business climate was relatively stable, it wasn't changing a lot, right? Mm-hmm. You could build a factory and know that the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, that factory would probably still be operational, could be profitable. But when you look at the days in business environment, well, it's marked by rapid disruption, significant change, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the question is, is does this technology still serve us? Um, you know, this was built for efficiency and for mm-hmm. predictability. And not that that's not important in businesses today, it is, mm-hmm. but what has also become important in the, the relative degree to which I think is dependent upon what environment or what industry or profession you're in, mm-hmm. what has also become important is the ability to adapt and respond to that change. The resiliency. Yeah, exactly. And so the, the business environment has changed dramatically, mm-hmm. yet the way that we design our organizations has stayed relatively the same for the last 150 plus years. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a vanguard group of organizations that are considering this and that are trying to organize their businesses and their, and their, their groups of people that are coming together in the pursuit of a common passion, common purpose. They're trying to organize them in a different way. And so, you know, let's take it back to my fourth year of veterinary school. It was being trained as a doctor. 
right? To use the data, to use science to help you figure out problems. And you're, you're, been tra you've, you're trained to also look for the root cause, the root problem of a healthcare issue. Don't just treat the symptoms. You wanna be a good doctor, treat the root cause. Right. And so when I looked around at what I was experiencing uh, at school, I looked at it like a symptom, right? This poor well-being in the workplace was a symptom. And so what's the cause? What's the root cause? And as I kept peeling the layers of the onion back, it came down to this. It mm -hmm. came down to this way that we design our organizations and the way we lead them and the way that we engage people on the front lines, the employees, those who are closest to the customer. Mm -hmm. Do you want them to just show up and do the work, punch the clock, or do you want them to actually engage in the process of developing a business and solving problems? Use their brains. Their brain, right. Instead yeah. of put widget A on widget B, because mm -hmm. that's what those people dander are only, that's all they're doing. Exactly. And so there's this new model that's coming out that's less hierarchical and more networked, mm -hmm. I would say, is a good way to describe that shift from an org, org design or org structural standpoint, maybe more toward a networked structure, more peer-to-peer, -peer, where your peers hold each other accountable, mm -hmm. uh, where your peers hold each other accountable in terms of uh, their job performance, um, where individuals can set their own job descriptions, they can set their own salaries. Mm -hmm. Like that's crazy talk for most people. Yeah, you say, set it. your own salaries, that's great. We're gonna have someone that's gonna go off and pay themselves a million dollars. Well, that's not the case because again, in this new structure, there's new different times of new different um, um, structures and new different um, practices mm -hmm. that leaders are using to sort of maintain that the chaos, so to speak. You know, if in this new model, if you're picturing people running around a lot of different directions with arrows pointing everywhere, that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. But it is a very different way of leading and, or, and, and, and engaging people on the front lines of business. I love it. And it's people working in what they like to do. And it's working in what they're really good at, right? And their highest and best, usually. There is a big um, element of putting people uh, in um, job opportunities that resonate or, or align with their strengths. Yes. Mm -hmm. Strengths-based leadership. Absolutely. I love it. I love there, it. There was a guy by the name of, um, um, oh shoot, I'm blanking on his name right now. It's Theory X and Theory Y. Hold on. <laughs> He's like, I gotta Google it. I have to give you the, give you the deets. So tell me- Douglas McGregor, that's it. That's Organizational, right. Douglas McGregor in the 1960s, an MIT management professor, I believe. Anyway, he, uh, he came up with his premise, which was uh, this idea of theory X versus theory Y. It's been proven over and over again, time and time again, but basically theory X is from a leadership standpoint, do you believe that you know, the people who work for your organization are lazy, that they can't be trusted to make intelligent decisions, mm -hmm. you know, that they need a boss to hold them accountable, mm -hmm. uh, that they're you know, relatively stupid, right? Or do you believe theory Y that People are relatively creative, talented individuals that can apply themselves to, you know, the pursuit of a, a, a solving a problem mm -hmm. uh, that can be relied upon to make uh, trustworthy decisions, uh, that they can be a part of an engaging team. Mm -hmm. right? They don't need a boss necessarily to hold them accountable, but th they can hold each other accountable through peer-to-peer -peer mechanisms. Yeah. That's theory why. And what he's found, and that's been proven time and time again, is that from a leadership standpoint, whichever one of those you believe to be true, that's that is true. what will manifest in your organization. Mm -hmm. Because as a leader, if you believe people are stupid, they're lazy, they're not able to um, you know, make intelligent decisions, then you're going to build structures and systems within your organization that reflect that. And make sure that that's true. Yep. And people try to generally game the system. 
But if you build your organization with structures and systems that imbue trust, then generally people return that with trust. In other words, trust breeds trust and fear breeds fear. So the idea is like, what is your perspective as a leader? What do you believe in? And that's going to manifest in your organization in terms of how you build it. It's really interesting. Um, somebody I know calls that um, giving people back their brains at work. Yeah. Because people make decisions outside of their nine to five all the time, but then they walk into work and they're like, yeah, people can buy I, a car. They can choose who yeah. they want to marry. And I've, and I've had employees like that. They just like, they, you know I mean? They, they live their lives. They do the thing. They, they adult and stuff. And they walk in the room and they're like, I don't know. You tell me how to do everything. And I'm like, no. <laughs> well, but the idea, I mean, and Henry Ford was famous for saying this, right? I mean, this was this model right here. Mm -hmm. This is the model they operated on. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't need a brain. I need two hands, right? We pay people to think. We pay other people to come in and work. Mm -hmm. and, and again, that worked really, really well when you have very clearly defined roles that just need someone to show up and put a nut on a bolt mm -hmm. or, you know, make some mm -hmm. step in a, the process of creating a widget. But when the environment's changing quickly, mm -hmm. and especially like we talked about earlier with automation, taking away some of those rote mechanistic type jobs, don't need to do all of a sudden you need creativity to solve and you need, problems. Yeah, because computers aren't going to be able to solve any of the problems we are. The well, not yet. Well, not, not yet. yet, but well, even then. For our lifetime, we're going to have a, a little bit of an advantage when it comes to the creative work. Yeah. <laughs> but here's true. the thing is if you're requiring even, even one shred of creative input, mm -hmm. especially if it involves sort of collaboration, then this old school model of, of organizational development, that sucks the life out of that, of, of that approach. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it literally gets you the exact opposite of what you want. If you want compliance, that model works really well. Um, if you want people to show up and work, that works really, really well. Um, Fear-based leadership, a lot of it, you know, threats of demotion, threats of firing if you don't do your work. And the idea here as you're shifting to this new model is like, how do you remove as much fear from the system? Mm -hmm. so that people are engaged, they're, they're, they're uh, optimistic. Not that, again, there's going to be jobs that have to be done that aren't fun to do, right? Mm -hmm. There are going to be times that are challenging. We have to have hard decisions or hard conversations with people. And this new model doesn't shy away from all of that. It just provides a, a sort of container for those things to happen in a different way yeah. with a different form of leadership. What I love about this is um, people get to be pitbull at work too, not just, you know. There's a sense of wholeness. Of yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it. You bring your whole self to work. Mm -hmm. you know. I love that. So tell me, so let's tell us about some of the programs at the Veterinary Entrepreneurial Academy entrepreneurship yeah. academy there it is yeah <laughs> maybe just for quick context for those yeah. of your listeners who don't know like this this organization or at least the original program mm -hmm. started back in 2016 at texas a&m college of veterinary medicine there and the idea was that how do we provide business education to veterinary students when it's not traditionally in the curriculum and so this and was a student program be. that and it needs to be and this is a student program that bubbled up out of that effort I had five students in its first program lasted over the summer um, and it's slowly been building and, and added more uh, universities and students from different universities participate. Um, we actually formed as a nonprofit uh, in 2019. So our own standalone entity now, not just a student program, but an actual organization to, that's trying to build these, these programs and, and develop them. Um, 
so that was in 2019. We've started with our original program, the summer internship program. That's what started back in 2016 at Texas A&M. It's what we continue to do today. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our main program. Uh, one of our two main programs, I would say. The summer internship program. And then we also have the IDEA student innovation competition. And then one other fun course that we just launched last summer with the not so sexy title of business fundamentals for the 21st century veterinary student. So I'll kind of address each one of those three, but I, I tell it. you the first one, the summer internship program, that's, that's our flagship program. That's what we started with. This is a program where, again, trying to teach students the fundamentals of business and, uh, and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. uh, when this program first started, uh, it was delivering a lot of education on sort of the, the, the front line or the, the ground level nuts and bolts of what's required to run a veterinary practice. Important that. information, sure. Uh, covered everything from like HR issues to, uh, you know, inventory management. Oh, wow. People management, all of this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, students, when I, when I came on in 2019, I, I heard from some of them and they said, you know, this is great information, um, but it feels like it's a, a quarter inch deep and a mile wide, mm -hmm. right? This information. And, and it's a lot of it. And we don't really know what to do with it right now. Right? We don't own a practice. We can't use this information. We can't apply it. Exactly. Can't apply it. So we said, well, how could we restructure our curriculum such that when the students graduate from our programs, they can go out and go anywhere in the world and have a conversation with anybody associated with business, whether it be a business owner, an employee, a manager, and have an intelligent conversation with them about the struggles that they're facing and to be able to come up with creative potential solutions to those problems as well. Right. And again, we talked about this earlier with the veterinary profession changing. You know, we wanted the veterinary students that are graduating from our programs as they go out and become veterinarians to be able to have a seat at the table where those conversations are happening, right? Those conversations that are changing the shape of our, of our uh, the face of our profession. Mm -hmm. We wanted those, vet to, those veterinarians to be able to, one, have the vocabulary and two, have the confidence to use that vocabulary when they're sitting at the seat at those tables. Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. Exactly. I love that. And so that's what kind of forced us to rethink about shaping our curriculum around the core fundamentals of entrepreneurship and what's required to build a business from scratch. So that's what we focus on now. And, and the summer internship program provides it. It's a 10 week curriculum kind of on those topics, those core fundamentals. Mm -hmm. But the unique thing about it is, again, back to the application of that knowledge. So how do we do that? We match students to an, a 10 week uh, uh, internship, working internship with a, an animal health startup or some other forward-thinking innovative company within the animal healthcare space. Uh, and, and we match them for that same 10-week period of time. So they go through a didactic curriculum while at the same time applying that to real-world experiences uh, at the front lines of, of businesses that are innovating in vet med. So they're getting to see it in real time as they're learning it. Exactly. So and it's a paid cool. internship too. Students travel anywhere. I mean, it can't awesome. be a remote. Yeah, I would have loved to have had this program when I was in vet school, um, but it can be a remote program. Sometimes uh, there's companies that want a remote student, mm -hmm. um, but we generally encourage students to be brave and to, to travel. So we've, we've dropped students into the, the Bay Area from when they were from rural Canada before. That's so cool. I mean, yeah, life-changing experiences. And we've had students every year at the end, we have a closing event where the students give a presentation on their experience. And every year we've had students in tears saying how much it's meant to them and how much has changed their lives. So, so cool. it's, it's really rewarding to lead the program to, to see that impact on the students. So that's our core program. 
the summer and internship program. They're ready to go out and like not even hit the ground running. Like they're going to be innovating from the get go. Hundred percent. That's 100%. so cool. And these students aren't just going in as an intern who's helping to check someone's to do list off. No. Right. They're going in and they're sitting in executive level conversations talking to their business leaders about business strategy and how to develop their business. Cause these are entrepreneurs as well. They're, they're early stage startups, early stage companies. And a lot of times that are still figuring it out. So they're literally impacting the front lines of veterinary medicine as a student, super fun, super that's high super impact fun. immersive program. So that's the, the summer internship program. The other main program that we just kicked off is called the idea student innovation competition. You're so excited. Every time we talk, you're like, we just didn't yeah, know no idea. Really I was so excited. I, I just, like, well, I've just been working with them. We just had our first class uh, last week. Um, this program originally came out of the folks at Vet Prep. Uh, they they make uh, it's a software company that creates um, uh, test quiz questions for uh, the NAVLI, the National Boards for Veterinary Students, mm -hmm. help them train for that. Anyway, this is a program that started by those guys. They just uh, worked with us last year to kind of move it over so that we could run it and continue to, to grow the program. And um, the idea, well, here's the way to, to describe this. Um, in the summer internship program, students are working on someone else's business and someone else's problem, right? Mm -hmm. With the idea competition, it's you're working on your own idea, your That's own problem. Cool. So if you have a business idea or some innovation has been sticking in the back of your head as a veterinary student say, man, someday I'd like to do that. That's exactly what this program is trying to do to help you go from idea to a prototype and ideally the formation of a, of a company with paid customers and you're off to the races. This is what happened last year, actually. We are, our, our, our top three finalists all finished the program with an established business, with a fleshed out business plan uh, and startup funding to get going and that's, that's thanks so to cool. Merck Animal Health is one of our big sponsors for the prize money for that that's and so, so they've cool. been a big supporter over the last few years and again life-changing right seeing the students going out and um, literally impacting the profession super fun that's anyway so cool yeah that's the idea it takes place uh, over the spring semester this year we just started and it's going to go all the way through the summer and then we're going to have a pitch competition at the end of the program where those top three teams will compete uh, they'll, they'll have a pitch competition and they'll compete for that uh, $17,500 worth of prize money that they'll share. So cool. Yeah. Super fun. Super fun. I love that. Yeah. Great. And then business fundamentals. Yeah. The last course, um, you know, I had a uh, uh, really uh, a great couple of students join me uh, this last summer. Uh, Jaden Robert, who's I think a third year this year at Cornell Veterinary School and Shanav Second, who is a fourth year veterinary student at uh, Colorado State. They joined me helping out. Rammies, sorry. Go yeah, the Rams. There you go. go I'm, a, Rams. I'm a Ram, so I have uh -huh. to say it. <laughs> so they, they helped me out a lot this past summer. And, you know, when Jaden joined, she's like, you know, a lot of, you know, her, the reason she joined is because her summer internship plans had been disrupted by COVID. Mm -hmm. And she said when she joined helping me at the VEA, she said, you know, there's a lot of my colleagues who would love to be able to take this program as well. But we can't match them all to internships. We don't have enough internships. So what do we do? And that was the idea behind this new course. How do we take some of the didactic curriculum from the summer internship program and still make it available to students, even if we can't match them to an internship? Mm -hmm. This was a super fun course. It, was take, it took place kind of in tandem with the summer internship program. It was six weeks long, but we invited anyone from all over the world, any veterinary student to be able to apply. Oh, cool. We tracked it over 270 students to it in the very first year. We threw this course together in like three and a half, four weeks. It was insane. That's awesome. This video lecture series. Anyway. Um, 
we crowdsourced, you know, so we, oh, let me step back. We said, how do we provide this uh, experiential education for these students if we can't match them to an internship? Well, we went to our commercial partners in the summer internship program and I said, look, we've got two, over 270 students that are interested in this that want to help solve problems. Give me a problem that you would like a crowdsourced set of solutions to from veterinary students. And so we actually had a set of real world problems from our commercial partners that we turned over and created this sort of global hackathon on steroids almost, where these students were learning entrepreneurship stuff. But then again, we're mashing them into small groups of, of very diverse students. Some were joining from Africa, some were joining from Europe, uh, United States, Canada, all over the place joining. And we put them into small teams and they work collectively and collaboratively on these these problems that we've sourced from the front lines of veterinary business. So, so that was a that was another free course that we offered up for students last year during the summer. That's so cool. Super fun. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. All right. Um. All right. Before I ask, before I ask my last question, um, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Yeah. Uh, well, currently we're accepting applications for the summer internship program. So if you're a student, a veterinary student from an AVMA accredited veterinary college and you want to participate in this program, jump onto our website, vea.vet. There's a section there for students where you can go and sign up. And similarly, if you're a company and you're thinking, man, I would love to have access to a creative, hungry veterinary student, get some of that veterinary perspective Intern. for my business to help develop. And it could be anything from product development to uh, you know, data entry, to coding, to marketing and customer discovery. We're, we're embedding veterinary students to do projects just like that. And so if you're a company that can see value in that as well, we encourage you to reach out to us as well on our website, vea.vet. And um, we're gonna be beginning the match process here um, uh, uh, when March comes around. All right, well, this will go up in just a couple of weeks, so it should be good. Um, awesome. Um, so my final question for you is what is the one set of skills that you would recommend um, a vet student or a current doc um, acquire that wants to start their own practice? Hmm. One set of skill. One set skill. Um, there's so many. I know. I'm to, like go through the list in my head of all the things that we cover. I mean, I think if you're remotely connected to a customer on the front lines, then communication is probably the most important skill set to develop. Mm -hmm. And under that umbrella of communication is a whole host of things from storytelling, communicating about your brand and brand identity uh, to talking about the value. But ultimately, you're going to have to communicate with somebody in order to drive your business forward. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do a lot of thinking in a box, but until you get out of the room and actually engage with real customers, um, you're just doing that. It's just thinking. So I think that's probably the, the answer that I would give there is communication. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Jamie, for having me. Really yeah, appreciate so it. It was a, a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.